Teaching Journey Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodian of the country and pay our respects to the elders past and emerging and recognizes their continuing connections to the land, waterways and community. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi all. You are listening to Teaching Journey Podcast, Connecting with Early Education, Episode 19. In this episode, I sat down with Anson Lee, who have been working within the education sector for more than 10 years. Anson has a unique teaching background teaching in secondary education before transitioning into the early education sector. There are so many things I want to draw on from my conversation with Anson, but overall, one of the biggest things that I'm in awe of is how deeply comfortable he is in being honest, open and reflective on his own self. Towards the end, he spoke about how he felt of his experience recording a podcast and how he is open to the unexpected and the unknown, and that he actually said to himself, it's okay because I'm learning. I don't know Anson on a personal level, and it's only been a professional space where we have met a few times. And I wonder if it's a space of recording a podcast that we're more inclined to share, or perhaps the questions that allow him to ponder. But I really think it comes down to his ability to be comfortable with being vulnerable to himself and others. In the leadership term, there is a communication theory called Johari Window Model. It is a communication framework that illustrates communication and self-awareness. I've left a link in the show notes or you can Google Johari window model and you'll be able to see the four quadrants. For Anson, he has demonstrated the ability to be open to himself and others. And in this example of evaluating his own experiences with recording a podcast, he is able to recognize the blind spot of his own experiences, taking on constructively on his own feedback, recognizing the achievement and growth of opportunities that he has just encountered and then evaluate for improvement for the next opportunity. While we know that reflecting deeply is not just asking the right questions, it is also the characteristics and the physical work of self-awareness that you do to elevate an effective self-reflective practice. And being a leader requires not only us connecting to others, but also to yourself. So while you're listening on this podcast, consider what does it make you feel when you listen to Anson's open and honest reflection of himself. If you were to work alongside him, how would this impact your professional relationship with him? And then flip it around. Where are you on the Johari window model when it comes to your communication style with your team and yourself? How can you open your window a little bit more to develop a deeper connection and openness to yourself and others. Because if you're like me listening to Anson, I felt inspired to open to myself and more comfortable to share a little bit about myself to Anson. So as a leader, I would like others to feel that way about me. So here it is, a step forward to your journey of self-teaching identity, episode 19 with Anson Lee. Enjoy. Anson, thank you so much for being on the Teaching Journey podcast. It's so great to have you here. We've met a few times and it's such a privilege to have you sharing the journey and sharing your story because I feel like you've got a wealth of experience and knowledge. And yeah, and for our listeners, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about why do you choose early childhood 
and what does that look like for you when you started okay. them? Well, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Anson and I've been in the field of education for actually more than 10 years. Um, but it's my probably seventh or eighth year in early childhood. Um, interesting story, probably didn't know that um, before I used to do secondary and uni. And then I switched to early childhood and many people are so curious about why I make that decision. So I guess it also tells a little bit about me, even though it's not self-introduction, but one of the reasons why I moved to early childhood is that personally, like I feel like the first five years of a human being's life and with the emerging um, research in the neuroscience and we realize that 80 to like 90 percent of our brain will be developed by that time and also I read some interesting research paper before saying that children are actually the most capable and effective changing agent to create a social justable society mm -hmm. and that's why I make that change because I think they are the pillar of the future and if we really want to start that this is the best time and um yeah so i've been in early childhood for seven to eight years um i've been working in different settings and this year i'm quite excited to to join a new kindergarten in a private school um and this year we're also running osh as well so huge range i, I guess children range from kindergarten all the way to year six but yeah yeah fantastic and so you know in terms of your journey and your beginnings of your journey um did you start off as a kindergarten teacher did you were you an educator did you do casual work mm. what did that look like for you so initially um i did my bachelor of arts in china and then when i graduate because i did english language literature so i taught english for one nearly one year in China and throughout uni um, I was involved in different field of education as well I was volunteering and coordinating some project in a primary school um, I did one year exchange in America did um, in multicultural education and then I moved to Australia in 2015 and start my uh, master of teaching and after that, I, I've been working nonstop um, till now, and I'm still loving it. Yeah, and that's really interesting because you have seen pretty much in a global scale yeah. of what education looks like. Mm. And, you know, being that you have traveled and, you know, you have, assuming that you've grown up in China, mm. you've gone through the education system, and now you're teaching here in Australia, yeah. in Australian context. What is the pool and, uh, you know, I guess for you to be teaching here, why in Australia? Well, um, it's, it's quite interesting for me because um, before I attended PD through Melbourne University and then talking about the, the multicultural um, aspect and that makes me think and through a self-analysis tool, I realise I'm actually an, an outlier because my experience grew up in China is very, very different from my teaching pedagogy. So I'm always seeking that fine balance because at the beginning I feel, oh, 
the early child in China or the education in China is too structured. Like there's not so much freedom um, and it's too academic based. And when I go to Australia through my placement, I feel, oh, this is com completely another extreme. It's too playful. Um, there's no structure. And after a few years, like really working the field, I, and also until now, I'm still trying to like strike that balance between the playful teaching, playful learning and intentional teaching. And I guess I find the true meaning behind what is um, a play-based learning look like, even though it looks like free play, but there's lots of um, intentions and purpose behind it. And the more I teach, what I learn is that is as important as you stepping back mm. than you stepping in. Because I remember when I first graduated, I was like, okay, this is, I learned so much. I need to go and change children's life. This is what I'm going to teach. And then you realize, yeah, Let's pause there. It's equally important. Now I step back more to see oh, what's actually happening, what are children doing, rather than stepping in straight away. These are the things I'm going to, you know, teaching you, empowering you. But yeah, mm. the the intentions behind all the pedagogical practices. Yeah. yeah. And that's really interesting because I, at the moment, I'm doing center visits for students. Mm. And we talk a lot about that, that image of a teacher that we hold. Yeah. And that image is held from, or stems from, and built and established from the knowledge and experiences that we mm. have, you know, with, you know, teachers that we look up to and education systems that we go through. Yeah. And that obviously, like you mentioned, really holds in value with our teaching identity, teaching pedagogy. But what you have also highlighted, that, that ability to kind of go, hang on, I'm going to let loose mm. and I'm going to try to try a different approach. And, you know, obviously with the knowledge of research and, you know, and practices and, and, and observation of what has been done mm. for many years in Australian context and that that playfulness that that concept of play on its own mm. is like so open to interpretation isn't it yeah and I think one of the the beauties that well over the weekend I just attend the um, culture of thinking with the collaboration between Project Zero and Bialik um, College and one of the interesting idea or I heard from Dr. Daniel Wilson is the ecology of education. And that made me think like nowadays we do have more dominant discourses, for example, of the Radio Amelia, the project based learning 21st century are mm -hmm. so you know evident and it's merging and it's quite exciting and many people are talking about it, mm -hmm. talking about it. But I was thinking like they are also in the whole world, they are also different type of approach to learning. And there is, for me, um, there is no good or bad. They are just different. And the beauty of having that diversity within education itself is so exciting. And I think that is more evident in early childhood. And there is so much space for us to 
to imagine, to create. And that was one of the reasons why I chose early childhood as, as well. I don't want to like taught someone else curriculum, just, you know, lesson after lessons and curriculums. And I feel I need to have my personal touch or personal flavor in because I feel teaching is a craft, mm -hmm. is an artistic practice. It takes years. It's like those, what is it called? Artisan? Mm -hmm. It takes Artisan. years for them to practice those skills. For example, when I was a student, I saw my mentor teacher, like every word she said, I was like, did she thought about that before? Like everything she said is so intentional. And now I'm probably feeling more comfortable and it may sound very purposeful for other people, but it takes years and years um, of practice and make it organic and embedded and natural for you. And also, yeah. And I think that personal, um, why, why are you different from a different teacher? Like, what are you passionate about? And in early childhood, if you're passionate about, let's say, gardening, how I feel like there's lots of transferable skills that, that you can, can utilize in, in early childhood. And you should make it personal and about your own learning journey as well. And as I mentioned to other people before, I feel like um, as a teacher, we need to demonstrate like the lifelong learner. So I, I may sound cliche, but if I feel, oh, I can't learn anything more from a place, um, maybe it's, it's time for me to move on or to, to go somewhere that I can draw from new inspirations to reinvent myself. Yeah. And I think, did I heard it from someone like every se seven years, you kind of discover a new self and yeah, this is my seventh year. So I'm also on that journey to rediscover myself yeah. too. Yeah. I, I really like what you said and I really resonate with it because it does. And it also for people who are listening, who are new beginner teachers, to not expect that they have it all, to know it all, mm. to have that very strong value of teaching practices. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's not concrete. Yeah. And knowing that it does take that long period time. of time to be able to evolve and, 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 and build towards that teaching identity, but it doesn't sit. And like you said, now you're thinking, oh, what? is the next seven years mm. chapter is going to be like yeah and that's almost like giving yourself time to learn new things to grow and to process so maybe mm. let's talk about that seven years what yeah. have you learned what have you found out about yourself mm. in early childhood and in personal space as well within that seven years i think i think definitely um early childhood it was quite interesting at the I think the more I study about early childhood, uh, the more interested I'm in the field. Um, I don't feel bored at all. And what, like after the uni, attending, when I graduate from my Master of Teaching, I think I've become a very cold person. Mm. Not cold person, but very analytical. Like because the, the structure they, they use, the clinical model they use, it's all about evidence and data. 
And that's why make me of a more analytical person. I always put things into perspective, analyze the good things and the bad things, quite reflective. And then along the journey, I meet different individual talents and all those amazing co-workers. Shouting out to you, Valentina. <laughs> um, for example, they they are completely different. For example, the first center that I walk in, our educational leader, we are like clashing mm-hmm. in a good way. We keep challenging each other. I'm more scientific. This learning story I've wrote is very evidence-based, but lacking of that warmth and the imagination. And she is like, that the love fly, let's talk about poetry, art in our life. Yeah. And I was like, but how much, can you measure how like your love, like how much love are you going, can we, to what extent can we support children's learning with just purely love or passion? Mm. And where is that, um, you know, evidence and um, research come from and things like that. But we just, through those daily conversation and, and challenge, and we, on the way home, we're actually like very close buddies. So we walk to the tram stop and that's the high time that we reflect on our day. What did you, something you learned today? What did you do to make you think hard? What do you think of these? I did these. And through those conversations, it refines and make me reflect. What if there's another way of doing things? The opposite of what you know is also true because you are looking from different perspectives. And when I joined another center um, where they are feel, feel really, really strong about like sustainability. And that's when I learned the concept of the life worthy learning. And which is another really like aha moment for you. Yes, you can teach children one to ten through different ways. Mm. Like oh drawing, reading, sports. But what is the those are activities, those are the containers to, to hold. But what is something that you feel so strong about that 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 is worth your time and life learning so the things that really really matters to us and that's why they think the earth um the human beings the future um our environment here and now and we only have one like those ideas really resonate like you can you can see that in in what everybody is doing and they kind of have a vision and that's why we carry like year-long project delving depth into um, different topics. So last year um, we delve into the ocean. The year before they delve into the ground, the earth, the trees, and also like incorporating with all the indigenous perspectives and the First Nations knowledge and people and their views. And those are the things that they think is worth their time and energy and this is something that's worth learning and meaningful for the children rather than just active activity after activity. Yes, you can learn count one, two, three, but what are you going to use those skills and, and be a global citizen? And we talk a lot about these, but it, it takes effort and 
time for them to build that culture and what they truly believe in and also like evolve in the community as well and and i was really very thankful for that and this year um i went to a new place and it it challenged me again it's completely different from what all the experience i had there's less structure where um children have the most of the the say so they make the decisions and at the beginning i was like feeling uncomfortable where is my boundary i was like where because this this school is really believe in children's agency and they believe children are capable and it make me think yes and one of the image that i saw like maybe like 10 or 15 years ago the school history children are climbing high at the treetop but if we truly believe they are capable and competent maybe we should trust them and through their demonstrations yes they show us and and nowadays i'm feeling more comfortable seeing children like literally climbing at the top of the tree saying hi to their friends to us and yeah and i'm still evolving i guess yeah let's talk about that discomfort because mm. going through an uncomfortable stage in our teaching journey we all go through that discomfort but what you have highlighted is that you know throughout the seven years you have gone through multiple of discomfortness mm. and shifting the pedagogy and evolving yourself so for people who are new to that concept of unknown uncertainty mm. and you know uncomfortableness what are your advice to go through that process i think the the first step i or the first advice I, I would give is probably introspection. Like really look deeply into your heart or like analyze your culture, what you feel most comfortable with. One of the things I keep asking myself is if a group of children or one child is staying with me just one day or one week or one month, what do I want? that child to walk away with or let's make it extreme just one day or a week do i want the child to really learn like counting one to ten the abcs or do i want the child to to have like the joy of curiosity the desire to learn more things to ask questions or is it the caring aspect the empathy those skills that you want them to to carry through and then i think that question drives me to to really drive down to my core what is the most important that i i want to do why am i doing that and i kind it kind of give you some answer i think mm -hmm. does does that make sense it completely makes sense because you know when we look at the framework or our curriculum framework, it overarches that concept of, you know, that sense of belonging, becoming and being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what you've also mentioned is that that's, you know, all your academic literacy and numeracy skills will obviously come when it's ready. Mm -hmm. You know that, you know, those neurons and developmental milestones will happen when it's ready for children. But that sense of that, that concept of establishing for children, the strong foundation of belonging, Be becoming mm -hmm. and being, be able to learn 
anything. Yes. Learning to learn, I I feel. Yes. Yeah. And understanding that for each child, they have their own personal unique ecological mm. model system, and that we are here to, you know, um, highlight the things that they are, you know, connected with. Yeah, and really the providing that. You know, environment for them to grow and thrive because I do believe that every child is unique, and it's those differences that that makes the war so great to see. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. And I have heard um like a really powerful example from um my previous co-teacher as well. So it was more than twenty years ago, and then one of the child. Like every day from evening to the end of the day, the child just keep making paper airplanes, not interested in anything else. And you know, after twenty years, he show up at the door, coming to say hi to the kindergarten teacher. Thank you for letting me making the paper airplane. I'm walking in like. The aircraft and as an engineer. Oh God! Like it's with chills and goosebumps. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and allowing those like yeah. individual um, mm. and really respecting and seeing the child, like seeing each child. It's it's really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But even the thought of you know making a simple paper airplane, refining that skills. Mm. There's a lot of learning that comes with it. Yeah. Concentration, you know, fine motor skills, symmetry, you know, there's maths and yeah, science, you know, science in there, you know, balance and you know. So it really so. depends. As I said, it's like a artistic craft. How can you embed it all of these, combine organically with students' interest, yeah. and that takes years and years, and also I think takes some creativity too and yeah. imagination definitely. Yeah. 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 Now you've highlighted that you worked, you know, you have, I guess, a mentor that you work with really closely at some point, mm. um, and I can imagine that you know along your years that you have worked with different types of people with perhaps mm. different beliefs, and that's the nature of the sector and the beautiful yeah. part of the ecology. Sector. Yes, yes, that we all come from different walks of life, different ways of doing and thinking and being. Um, you know, and how do you navigate working with different types of personality who might not be in line with what you believe? In? Um, I think most of my experience, all my experience working with different people are all quite positive, and I'm not sure because of my personality, but but one of the things I always do or think is I always assume the good intention from people, and. I just imagine. I always hypothetically, I always treat them as my siblings. Like you know, you fight. I always fight with my sisters. I mean, sister. I have one sister, mm-hmm. and then but the things that you say sometimes it's, you know, may not be pleasant to hear, but you truly care for them. And I think um, one time it may sound harsh or. Things like that, but if it's being like consistent throughout the day, through actions, they 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 can sense that you are being genuine and you are genuine about yourself, and also you are genuine to them as well. Their authenticity, and this is what happens between me and Valentina because she just keeps challenging me, not for the sake of winning the argument or something, but because 
it's been consistent from me and from her and we eventually see each other um yeah so i think assume best intention and the other way is probably through conversations um so for example um before with our team we kind of come together and talk about what is important to us um what bring us here what um and also sharing about what we want to learn coming here together and we provide that um, opportunities for example some of the staff they want to work on their communication with families some of them want to learn about setting up the space and we by sharing that and also the way that we want to receive feedback and we figure out what is the best way to communicate um, with them and knowing them in a deeper level i guess so if we know oh they want to learn this um how can we support each other and we give them the space oh today something really positive happened with this child do you want to share this great news with the parents and providing those opportunities and for others people oh something they're passionate about do you want to set up this space what resources do you need and giving those and i think creating that safe space is also very important being vulnerable and also um i constantly ask for my colleagues feedback no matter is educators or teacher what do you think it takes i usually self reflect a little bit but i want to see what other people think can can offer a completely different view and because sometimes you are in that teaching moment you're more focused on the children and things sometimes you may not even aware of what your body is doing um mm. you know picking up those small cues however if you stand back or seeing from a different perspective then you will be able to see all of that and as i said going back to to that topic being genuine and authentic and assume the best attention from other people that support we're supporting each other rather than judging mm. each other mm. and like what can you lose yeah. yeah 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 and also like you know what you've described basically are all those leadership skills that we need to have as a leader as a teacher to guide and support our team because we work alongside mm. so many different types of people and the ability to step back and that's what we do with children as mm. well like you've said you know needing to let go of my power discourses yeah and allowing children to step forward and that's pretty much similar to how we allow other educators to shine forward mm. as well as much as we have this perhaps in a leadership position mm. that we you know run a kindergarten room for example is to to know that we work alongside yeah. other people So what does leadership means to you? Um leadership is definitely not about power, not about but um I think in the last few especially last year in it, it struck me that the leadership can either make or break the team and culture and it's so important. Um it does have a huge impact um 
on the staff, on the quality of the education. And I think leaders should be able to have a vision and ability to lead the people, um, to bring the people with them and, and walk towards that vision. Yeah. Yeah. I always have this image. There's this really good photo that I used to have it uh, next to you know, my computer in the office. And there's this image of um, wolves, a pack of wolves. Mm. And, you know, they're basically saying that uh, the leader is not the wolf that is leading at the front. Mm. The leader is the, the wolf back. that leads at the back, making sure that everyone is having those opportunities to shine forward and do mm. what's best they can. Yeah. Know those characteristics, know those abilities and support them when needed. Jump in because you're mm. always observing, you're there, just leading and supporting them from the back. Yeah. So I, I think, think that, that's definitely a really good um, analogy and it, it resonates with me. Like you, the leader doesn't have to be good at everything, but those rather than looking at a bigger picture, um, able to utilize everybody's expertise and providing those opportunities. Um, I think it's more like putting a puzzle together. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a yeah. constant trying to fit the right yeah. what is person the, and you the know. best combination, the possible combination that could yes. have yeah. and have that the bigger peak picture rather than yeah. But I think Sometimes leaders need that kind of charisma as well. Some people have that in them. You can see see through their confidence or something something special that they really feel strongly about, and you just it's create that energy and vibe that you just attract you sometimes, yeah. and just you. I think probably linking back to that vision, if that vision is really, really strong and clear, people just want to come with you. Yeah. Yeah. And also providing tools and those support along the way. Yeah. Yeah. But also those interactions, those deep connections that you have with your team, like, you know, or even opportunities to sit down and say, let's unpack today. Mm. What do you do so great? What do you learn? What was the things that was uncomfortable and you know, that you struggle with all the challenges. To have this open, honest conversation, mm. I think is also really important. Yeah. And I think by being open-minded is probably another mm. another thing. And, you know, allowing room for make like, people make mistakes, but we learn from those. And it's, it's a group effort. It's just someone's fault. But, yeah, it's a collective learning journey. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, what's now in terms of your professional journey? What are the things that you wanna focus on? Any projects that you kind of wanna work towards for yourself? Anything that you kind of wanna focus mm. on? I think something. There are two things that um, I'm thinking. So and also it, it kind of looked different in in terms of my professional journey. So in, in terms of my personal practice, I'll probably, because I'm very interested in, in STEM, um, technology um, and science, and I was thinking how can I incorporate more um, technology to enhance students' learning, something of my personal interest, 
And recently, when I attend that um, culture of thinking conference, talking about the space and the place and space um, of learning, and I just let my imagination um, fly, thinking out of the box. And um, because they are sh- sharing like how the flexible learning environments and can have positive effect on children's learning and simply have like wheels on the tables and the chairs that they can rearrange, move around. And I was thinking to support those like individual child, what if we set, add a sensory pad on the table and then they can fidget while like listening to the class. And one of the teachers said, what was it? She said, oh, those science teachers, they have the science lab, they can create that classroom culture. And, but I teach language. I need to go to each classrooms. So I don't have my space and I cannot display my culture or I bring artifact. And I was thinking, okay, so if that's the case, what if we turn the, um, the walls and put a screen, like an LED screen on it. And if the teacher have an iPad that controls, you know, project on the screen and you can make your pin board. And when you go, it's language class. Okay, you put your pin board up. It's science class, the science teacher. And also children can also contribute to the pin board to create their learning space. And if we are learning about Egypt, what if we turn all the panels about the scene to the Egypt and then things like that. And what if we need a circle in the classroom so they are talking about um, tables and desks as a barrier of um, collaboration and they cannot move around. Mm. Um, I was thinking what if the floor, I need a circle right now, if an iPad draws a circle and a circle appear on the floor, okay, now that's gather. But now it's time for self-reflection. Like 20 squares appear on the on the floor. You just go and find your squares. Like those, sounds very expensive, maybe in the next, I don't know, 50 year, years. Yeah. But I just think if we have unlimited resources, what can I do? Like reimagining education or like well, early childhood or just education. What can we do really enhance and bring the education to next level? And I do believe that like VR or could be the next thing because we we talk about experiential learning and also those immersive learning. If I can like literally see a period, it's not like being slave to the technology, but really use it, utilizing them. And recently one of the debate that we have in our kindergarten is I want to introduce AI to the, to the four-year-old children because we're exploring the monsters. And we're thinking using their phrases as a prompt and generate an image. And it, it also creates another debate. Some of teacher is really highly against that, is that we need to be taking cautious step about these. So, but technology and, and, and STEM is definitely something that I'm passionate about. So this is one thing. Another thing is something that I, I want to do as well, because as I said earlier, the reason why I chose early childhood because I believe they are the future. But after seven, eight years, and I think another changing agent is probably the university. But it, it doesn't um, change my 
the original goal. So what I want to do is after the all these years of experience, I want to empower more new teachers, the student teachers. If I influence, let's say, 20 teachers and these 20 teachers influence 20 children, then that ripple effect, I'm indirectly maybe change the life of what 20 multiplied 400 children's life so this is something that i want to do so i'm thinking oh if i want to go back to uni or you know supporting the graduate teachers or the student teachers or the teach training and this is something that i want to do and i'm working towards that and i i built I have, I have been posting on my personal platform as well and I probably have 12k of fans Glow, growing slowly just simply sharing some of the resources my personal practice um, the project that I'm doing and I if it can help them to some extent and it will be great yeah. so this is something that if make me feel very excited about yeah yeah, yeah. And I yeah. love how your vision is like, let's think of the biggest. If I have no challenges in front of me, uh, all sorts of resources, any money, mm. any funding, what am I going to do? Yeah. How, what sort of uh, mark am I going to leave mm. within the education sector? Yeah. And you have this big vision, which you are so <laughs> beaming about. You are like the biggest smile just talking about it. And how beautiful is that to have that passion and that motivation mm. as well? Like, that was my other question. Like, you know, where does this motivation come from? Is this something that you have developed just as you are growing into the sector? Or is this something that you've always had when you were a little boy? Mm, I think reflecting back on my personal experience, as I said, to some extent, I don't know how I get involved everything I did was connected to to education. When I graduated from like high school, I I did an internship in a school, um, an English school, and I was part of their team to develop their English programs for children who are like five, six years old. And that was a really like great memory of me, but I didn't think that was one of the reasons why I chose early childhood. I think the reason why I, because I truly believe in it and I, I think they are the future. We are everything we say, everything we do, there, there's an effect. We're making a, a positive or impact on the children, which in turn, even just the smallest thing. And, and the research says, for example, like our mindset, talking about equity and even the genders, because it's so hard to change an adult's mindset because they've been thinking that way. And, you know, talking about race, which is a, a critical topic or like things like that, or equity, the, the LGBTQ plus community, things like that, but or the technology. Children are grow up in this environment, and if we want to create a adjustable, I mean, realistic, I should yeah, say, a society, <laughs> and yeah. this is a natural part of 
their upbringing. If they think this way, then yeah. So I do believe like every word I said to the children matters. Well, Mm. it's a little bit too extreme, but yes, it it is. And Mm. they internalize that every actions, even just picking up the rubbish, everything we do have impact. You just don't know when. Yeah. Because when they, when they grew up and one of the interesting saying I, I saw is that, um, s- said by a, I think psychologist, um, or his name is Adler. The, I saw in a, a Mandarin translation, but basically the meaning was a fortunate, um, person. They, they use their happy childhood to heal their whole life. Like their whole life can be protected and healed by their childhood. An unfortunate person, they spend their whole life to heal their childhood. Because lots of the, the psychological issues, and if you keep like asking yourself and drilling down, it eventually traces back to their childhood. Something happened at that time that changed their life. And also for many people who who change careers and they ask them deep down, this is something that I want to do, this is not what I'm passionate at. And they ask themselves, yes, when I was a child, this is what I truly enjoy because at that time they don't have that, you know, the sense of how much money I, I'm going to earn if these, how are people going to see me or the social um, status or things something that they just find joy, make them happy. And it draws down to, to their childhood that eventually make them realize, oh, this is something that truly resonates with me and this is my true self. And without all of these bombarded with all the information, the social media and, you know, the, the society. And yeah, this is a really privileged age group to work with and I do believe... I have responsibility and also my privilege and I have meaning in what I'm doing every day. So, yeah. What is your vision for early childhood sector? What would you like to see? This is such a great question and also a very big question. Um, I think... I, I just, while you're asking the question, I'm just thinking like to what extent do I want to look into based on like before I give you an, an answer, do I want to look into the next five years, next 10 years or in 20 years? Well, um, yeah, I mean, we do know that change takes time, but we also do know that change are... Inevitable. Yeah, inevitable, but also are impacted by, you know people with position of power mm. and if you have a position of power or you know let's go to the extreme if you were a prime minister mm. for example yeah and you could make a change to early ed- early child education mm. what would be your action and vision the first thing the first thing i would probably do is the setting the benchmark higher for people to enter early childhood so, and I think it links to professional identity and image as well. Some people see early childhood as carers, and I do believe there's a reason why. And I feel certificate is not enough 
for people. People just see, oh, this is the end. I, I got nothing to do. I don't know where to start. Even though at the same time, yes, we need more people to join our sector, but it's not, it shouldn't be that easy. I see a place where early childhood is like delivered by all, for example, bachelor or even masters. For example, in Scandinavian countries, to become a teacher, you need that qualification. And I do believe by investing in that, teacher have the professional knowledge, have professional relationship, making those professional judgment, and it does have impact on children and also impact the whole image of the host, like the identity. Because back then, lots of early childhood um, professionals, they, they, they complain about during COVID, we are here for your children. We are here for the whole society. We are being ignored, which is true. And the doctors, they are, they are doing the same thing. Yes, I agree. But even though I'm in the early childhood, I was there like non walking nonstop. But yes, they study five years to get where they are. And we study like half a year. Some of us maybe study. Many of the educators actually come with great experience. Mm. They have experience with children. They have their own knowledge and that is great. But I do think we need to leave that. Yeah. And I dare to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we need to level that up qualification. And yeah, as one of the lecturers said, Karen, Hope is that her name? She said, "Oh, in order to cultivate, com like competent children need competent teachers." Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. And another thing is, I'm I will be thrilled to see different approaches emerging from early childhood, um, celebrating their creativity, um, their deliver of their programs, their ecology, rather than just one dominate discourses among all and we eventually turn to the th same um, another thing is you know the landscape where technology can transform our experience our learning um, like teachers as well um, students as well and how that impact on, on on children's learning and development so these are some of the Big I, yeah, just a just few, a few but the list goes on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's finish off with one last question. Mm. What advice that you would give yourself, your beginning teacher self? What mm. would that advice be? Hmm. I think probably like listen more. Yeah. And and be yourself. Probably look after yourself too. Because on, on my first year of um, teaching, I remember, and I, yeah, and all, all, my co-workers sometimes like, like make fun of me too. Like I remember I bring my laptop to a bar, writing the learning story, the weekly reflection till like seven or eight. Mm -hmm. And I think um, probably because it's my first year, I feel like, you know, so passionate about like what I'm doing and I'm not sure if I'm trying to prove myself that like I'm worth it or I'm a valuable member or something, but 
yeah, look after myself and also listen more. Listen more, meaning being open-minded and see there's not one right answer. There are there are many answers. Oh, one of the very lessons is um finding your group of people. Yeah, mm-hmm. like even though it can be your coworkers or like the classmate that you you went to school with, that connection and support, like-minded um, group of people. Who share the same passion and same vision with you, so you can like challenge each other, support each other, and care for each other. And I think that is it's really valuable. And they will be able to see from another's perspective while giving you probably the genuine feedback without thinking too much about another layer of relationship. I think. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Anson, for sitting down and having a yarn with me. It's such a privilege. And I hope that people are listening in to this episode going to be inspired by your highly motivational you know, quotes. You've actually mentioned a lot of things that are really valuable mm. for us to consider and reflect on and ponder within our teaching journey. And you know, and you've opened up those conversations for mm. us. So thank you so much. It's a privilege. Yeah, open to um, connections and also feedback. And and I love to thank, connect to the people who are listening to these podcasts. I think like reflecting back right now, teachers' mindset. Um, I think some of my answers are a little bit jumpy today. Not really like answer the question and. And I think I was feeling a little bit nervous for the first five or ten minutes, yeah. and which is okay, you know. Embrace that ambiguity and uncertainty and the unknown. And I don't know how these um, episode gonna turn out, but hopefully, even just one single idea that you that make you think a little bit about something or that resonate with you. And I'm happy to have more conversation with. The listeners or even you if, yeah, if yeah. in the future have let's have another second episode and then follow up sounds good and i'll tag your maybe your linking um to this episode notes as well yeah yeah great thank you thanks all good thank you so much for joining us on this episode of teaching journey podcast we hope you found our discussion valuable and inspiring if you have any feedback suggestions or would like to share your journey with us we would love to hear from you Reach out to us directly on Instagram by searching Teaching Journey Podcast. Links to the presenters and resources mentioned in this podcast are in the show notes. Once again, I'm Dee, your host, and thank you for being part of the Teaching Journey community. So let's keep our conversation going, keep inspiring one another, and keep amplifying our voices to create a ripple effect of high-quality early education. Until next time, happy teaching!